0: Welcome to Beyond the Small Talk, podcast for leaders and educators, hosted by me, Andrew Howey, and you, Alice Beveridge.
1: On our show, we delve deeper than the surface level small talk and explore the important topics of well-being and self-care in the education sector. We understand the challenges and demands that come with being a leader or educator, and our goal is to provide you with some practical tips, strategies and resources to help you prioritise your own well-being while still excelling in your role.
0: So join us as we discuss a variety of topics related to self-care, mental health, and work-life balance with experts and educators who have first-hand experience navigating these issues. Let's take a step beyond the small talk and prioritize our own well-being so that we can be the best version of ourselves for our students and our colleagues. So welcome back, Alice. We've had a couple of weeks break Uh, since the last episode. We took a bit of time off because we knew lots of our listeners are going to be enjoying their, their Easter holidays. So How did your holiday, how was your break, Alice?
1: Oh, it's been incredible. Do you know, we had our first abroad holiday since before COVID with the kids. We had nine days in Morocco and I am refreshed. Absolutely, it's incredible.
0: Lots of sunshine, lots of swimming.
1: Lots of sunshine, lots of swimming, surprisingly very little reading. Normally I'm the person that would be by the pool reading and reading and reading. I didn't pick up my book at all um, because, we, you know, there's just so much to do and the weather was so incredible and I spent 95% of the time in the pool and the other 5% eating ice cream.
0: I think we switched a little bit because you have been doing lots of reading whereas I've been doing lots of running. So for my holiday, I actually read a book which you'd recommended, Daisy Jones in the Six.
1: It's cracking. And it's just come out on Amazon as well, so you can watch it.
0: So I, I I, loved it. I fired through that. That was one of these books where you just pick up and you just want to keep reading it. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. So I was reading. I had a couple of days away with the family in the Lake District, and I'm still doing, I, I'm still doing bits of running, but I've started to taper now. So apparently during the taper, Alice, I get miserable. I get paranoia. Apparently tapering is a horrible time, so the next week is going to be lots of fun in my house. But maybe even by the time this goes out, Well, the 23rd of April, I've got nine days to the London Marathon. So I know I've spoken about that in lots of episodes previously. People will think, is that still, is still happening. So nine days to go. Training
1: takes time. It does take time. And I feel for your wife and children. I am often the runner's widow and very often the uh, one dealing with the grumpiness of a tapering runner. So yeah, I might avoid you after today until after that, I think.
0: Yeah, because we had a, we had a session the other day with, with an expert and they were talking about like, how do you think you'll feel during the taper? You'll turn up on the day ready for action, feeling ready. Fresh, and they're like, No, you won't. You'll be miserable because you've been tapering, and you, all you want to do is run, but you can't run. And running, I think part of that aspect we spoke about before is your mental, like just well being, like running so good. And at the moment, I'm very structured. I can't really go running for three hours because I still look after my knees and my body.
1: Yeah, yeah, you gotta hold but, yourself
0: together. Yeah, Alice, we won't speak for too long because we like to go beyond the small talk. Now, we have had a little bit of small talk, but we actually have a guest this week you to know. go beyond the small talk with. Outland. i can't believe it's true it's amazing we reached out uh, we we'd obviously had a sort of i think we had our sort of lists of guests and someone that we've spoken about in loads of episodes we even have the whole episode about him uh, is steve mumby with his text perfect leadership and imperfect leadership in action so we we reached out to steve and he said he would come on our podcast
1: i know so listeners this one is a cracker let's go Hello, Steve Mumby. We are so excited to have you on the podcast today. Um, Andrew and I have been literally buzzing, um, getting ready to to chat to you today because we've obviously, we've spoken about your work previously in the podcast and we know that it's something that our listeners have really been connecting with. So, hello, how are you?
2: Hello, it's great to be involved in this and thanks for all the important work that you're doing.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It's lovely to hear that as well, isn't it,
0: Andrew? It is. As, as we, we set up this podcast to, to give practical advice, give tips, give some insight. And, and one of the books that we keep coming back to is, is, is your book, Steve. So it's so good to have you here and, and get, get some thoughts and some advice. We always like to begin this. The, this podcast is called Beyond the Small Talk. So we always like to start with a bit of small talk before we go beyond it. So we thought just a, a wee question, how are you, how's things, and, and we thought we'd fire a question about what, what are you reading at the moment? Ah, right, okay. I'm reading, I've just finished reading a really, really good
2: book by a wonderful writer about school leadership called Vivian Robinson, uh, and her book is called um, Virtual Educational Leadership, virtu- Virtuous, Virtuous Educational Leadership. And uh, she's a great writer, and I know Vivian well, and it's just a joy to read a book which is so down-to-earth, so uh, practical, so about improving schools, at the same time talking about values and uh, living the values, so that's been great. The book I'm reading at the moment also, which has not come out yet, I've been sent it to read in advance of publication, is a wonderful book by Andy Hargreaves and Dennis Shirley called Identity, which is about... Um, uh, in education and how how young people understand who they are and work out who they are uh, and, and how we help educators to sort of cover this kind of issue in schools. So it's a really fascinating and very topical book. And in terms of fiction, I used to um, know someone years ago who was who, when we both worked in the field of student assessment, she was called Ruth Sutton and she was an expert speaker on assessment. Uh, then she retired and moved to the Lake District And then she she started writing novels. So it's novels about the Lake District. And since I moved to the Lake District uh, last year, uh, I'm uh, starting to read her novels too. And the first one's called A Good Liar by Ruth Sutton.
1: Brilliant, it sounds like you're busy.
0: (laughs) There's so much to pick up. We, um, the the, the book you're talking about, Identity, looking at young people. We spend a lot of our times in school, working with students. Um, I deliver workshops regularly to the upper secondary school phase. Hey, so that sounds like something that would be right up our street in terms of of speaking to young people. Yeah,
2: Andy's a good friend of mine. He's such a great writer, and it's a very
0: very topical book. It's not out yet. So look out for it. It's called Identity.
1: So, and I had the
0: pleasure of visiting the Lake Districts last week. We took the kids down. We stayed in Windermere uh, at the youth hostel. It was glorious.
2: Yeah, I've just we just moved to Kendall last year.
1: Oh lovely, <coughs> uh, my husband runs in the Lake District a lot so I spend lots of time in random car parks all over <laughs> the District waiting for him to appear to make sure he's still okay. Um, I love that one of the books you mentioned there was Vivian Robertson as well, I've used her work so much particularly looking at things like open to learning conversations and just really building confidence and staff around well how do we have some of these difficult and challenging conversations so it's really yeah, interesting right. that that's, uh, that's on your list. Well, let's uh, let's flip this round a little bit more to you and your work then, Steve. I'm fairly sure most of our listeners will have a good idea of who you are and what it is that you're doing. But for those of you that have never heard of you or your work before, or this is the first time dipping into the podcast, could you give us like a whistle-stop tour of you and how you found yourself doing what you're doing these days? Sure.
2: Thanks, Alice. Um, I started work as a teacher. I found that very challenging, as as most people do. Um, I taught for seven years, and then I ended up uh, working in local authorities, being a local authority school advisor inspector. Then I ended up uh, being a director of education for a local authority called Knowsley in Merseyside, which is a very challenging place in England. Uh, I did that for five years, um, and then I moved to be chief executive of the National College for School Leadership in England, which is a, a government funded organization in England to uh, support the leadership development across the 24,000 schools in England. That was a big jump up for me, as you might imagine. Uh, And then after that, I was CEO of an organization called CFBT and later became known as Education Development Trust. This is an international not-for-profit organization working in places like Africa, Asia, the Middle East and Europe. And since then, uh, I've since the last four or five years, I've been working as a as a consultant working with governments and different education systems around the world and school leaders to look at school leadership and system reform.
1: That's incredible. And I listened to several of of the other podcasts that you've been on. And I remember you talking about the the sort of shift of going from that head of education role to getting people to try and pick up the phone to you when you were suddenly sort of sitting outside of that sort of position of influence within a local authority. I thought that was really interesting. Um, (laughs) I think that's really something that we can relate to as well, having both been in education and then moved outside of it from a sort of a, a practical day-to-day sense, but still very much working in an underwritten, sort of just trying to get in there and make sure that people are listening is always always a bit of a challenge to get over yeah. that little hurdle, isn't it? But um there has been some other work that you've been squirrelling away on as well, though, which is the form of two quite incredible books, which we know have been in like Unbelievably impactful when it comes to helping leaders reflect on who they are, how they lead, what it means to be a leader. Like when I started delivering Vibe for Middle Leaders, which is our um, middle leadership course, it was one of the first books that people spoke to me about. You know, it wasn't on my original leader reading list I'm really sorry it is now um but people keep coming to me oh no I read this book this was amazing I, was like, I need to go and read this this is phenomenal um and it's it's really kind of changed mindsets I think around what it means to be a great leader without having to be perfect and you've got a follow-up to that book as well now I believe
2: yeah so I wrote the first book <clears throat> in 2017 um and uh towards, actually it was 2019 when it when it came out and um I wrote that because every year for 12 consecutive years I made a a speech at a big conference in Birmingham on school leadership and since it was the same people turned up every year it had to be a different speech every year on school leadership not the same speech uh, slightly nuanced and um, and people said I should publish them and uh, I didn't really want to publish them on their own so I decided to write about those uh, 12 years of my career, from being chief executive of the National College of School Leadership in 2005 to retiring from Education Development Trust in 2017. And so I wrote about my own leadership experience. And what was was really important here is I was really honest. I was honest about the the problems I had. Sometimes how ill I got through stress. Sometimes I, I wrote about mistakes I made as well as the good successes we had. And I I wrote about uh, uh, how I learned as a leader and got better over time as a leader. And I decided to call the the book Imperfect Leadership because it was the best term I could think of to describe my own leadership. And that's not something I'm ashamed of or embarrassed by. I'm actually proud to be an imperfect leader because I think I have a problem with this idea of perfect leadership. I think if you think we have to be perfect as leaders, We'll end up making ourselves ill, either physically or mentally. I think we have to be perfect as leaders. We'll, we'll do it all ourselves instead of sharing the leadership with others. If we think we have to be perfect as leaders, we won't encourage others to step up to leadership because they have to be perfect as well. So I called the book Imperfect Leadership. And some people, some people said to me, no one will buy it. No one wants to be an imperfect leader. You should call it perfect leadership. I said, no, that's completely wrong. It's Imperfect is a good thing. Um, I'm,
1: I'm yet to meet a perfect leader Steve and I've worked with <laughs> leaders from all walks of life not just education so I think you've totally like what I love about that is it's so authentic you know it's like as a leader like I've been in leadership roles Andrew's been in leadership roles we work with leaders all day every day we know how hard it is you know we know how tough it is and I think lots of people Find themselves in leadership roles for different reasons. Some of them are obviously aspiring, actively trying to become leaders. Some kind of become leaders because it's the next logical step in their career, and they're like, "Well, that's what I should go and do." And that often gives us this, like, I don't know, like it's a, a bit of a weird interpretation of well, what does it mean to be a leader. So what would you say some of the misconceptions around leadership are that you've either experienced in your own career or seen when you've been working with other people? And how do you go about addressing that when it comes to the, the work that you've been doing?
2: I think the the main, it's, it's almost, it gets into your head that if you're a leader, you're supposed to know all the answers. Mm. And that if you don't know the answers, people won't think you're credible as a leader. Uh, and it gets in your head that you can't admit any mistakes or weaknesses because no one will want to follow you anymore. Uh, And um, I understand why people think that, because if if you are uh, a kind of quivering wreck as a leader and you know nothing at all, no one will want to follow you. But if you are authentic, honest, admit mistakes, people are more likely to follow you, as long as also you have some expertise and some credibility as well. So it's about balance. And, And I worry about this idea that we have to be some kind of, Hero leader I mean leadership is tough. people expect so much from leaders they expect you, to, you know, if you're running a school for example that you feel the weight of on your shoulders of it, what the parents want from you, what the children need from you, what the staff need from you it can be quite overwhelming. it's even more overwhelming if you think you have to be perfect if you think you have to know all the answers if you think you have to be some kind of hero who never makes mistakes. But if you accept the fact that we're imperfect, we will make mistakes, we're all on a learning journey, it will be uh, less lonely because you can ask for help. We don't feel bad about asking for help. Also be more genuine and authentic and you might enjoy it more as well.
0: I think that when I picked up your book for the first time, I just taken over a, a principal teacher role in a school and... With what was going on in the school, being new to the position, I almost felt I had to justify coming in into a principal teacher role within the school. So I felt if anyone asked me a question, I needed to be perfect and answer it because otherwise they'd think, "But well, why has he got this job? I also felt like just things that were going on outside of work, you bring them into school, so you're not feeling your greatest, but you're still trying to put on that front because you're new to, or or even this happens throughout when change comes in, you're trying to, to keep things going. Yeah. And I think when looking at your book and in the previous podcast episode, I'd spoke about a couple of things that really helped, but the idea of asking for help and not being perfect. So when someone someone came to me previously and asked me a question, or Andrew, what did I do about this? Or this parent's phoned or they got this issue, what do I need to do? I, I felt like in that moment, I needed to give them an answer. Otherwise, my role within the school uh, would be undermined. Whereas after reading your book, I realized I could say, I don't know what do you think or I don't know but I'll come back to you or let's work this out together and it just it allowed me to breathe and I think that was so important at that point point. and I'm not sure if that's because obviously the book your ideas develop over the the years yeah. of the book and um, but I wonder if that's one of the things that you hoped readers would take away from it
2: Absolutely and completely. What well, I'm hoping leaders will take away from it. in the second book, which I wrote with a wonderful uh, executive school leader called Mary Claire Brotherson, which we published last year, called Imperfect Leadership in Action, a book for school leaders who know they don't know it all. Uh, we try to we talk about the imperfect leadership mindset, uh, and the great thing about, about embracing this mindset is it's not a body of knowledge you have to learn, it's not a set of skills you have to work through. It's a mindset to embrace. It's a As you said, Andrew, it's like a, it's a great release and relief. Think, I don't have to know all the answers. I actually can ask for help. Uh, I understand what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And I know if I want to be the best leader I can be, I should surround my, myself with people who are better than I am at things I'm not very good at and ask for help from them, either inside the school or outside the school. Uh, and, and if I've got an imperfect leadership mindset, then I, I'm okay about uh, my ego. I manage my ego. I don't have too big an ego or too small an ego. That's a really important one, actually. Maybe talk a bit more about that later on. But also, if I've got an imperfect leadership mindset, I know I'm a learner. I'll never be the perfect leader. So I'm going to carry on trying to be the better leader tomorrow than I was today. I'm still going to make mistakes, but I want to be better than I was because I want to be a learner. And also, if I'm an imperfect leadership mindset, I encourage others to be leaders because they're not perfect and I'm not perfect, but we can all be leaders. So, so that kind of mindset is about encouraging others to be leaders rather than putting blocks in their way. And then the, in the end, uh, uh, the final bit is about how the imperfect leadership mindset is about being authentic, genuine, and trying to do the right thing. So that's the kind of sum some, uh, some of what the second book says. But in the end, it's about Uh, accepting who you are, trying to be a better version of yourself tomorrow than you were today, understanding you'll make mistakes, not beating yourself up too much when you do make mistakes, uh, and being willing to ask for help.
1: That reminds me of something, a piece of advice I was given during my teacher training, which there's, it's so often when I'm working with leaders, it's like, you know the stuff that you do in the class with the kids, it's the same as how we actually approach adults you know like there's so many skills that we learn in terms of learning to be good classroom practitioners that allow us to then transition into good leadership and the piece of advice was if you don't know the answer to a question as a teacher don't pretend that you do you know like you go on that learning journey with those kids like I have absolutely no idea how to answer that but let's go and find out together and you model how to find the answer rather than modelling this, like, perfect end goal. And it stuck with me from, like, I it was, like, week three in Murray House when 2000-something or other, I'm not going to say that date because it'll terrify me. Um, <laughs> and something that I've taken all the way through everything. It's like, if you don't know the answer, you just have to say, I have no idea, let's go find out.
2: That's a great point. And actually, it's amazing how people are reluctant to say I don't know the answer, either
0: as teachers or as leaders.
1: Yeah, I think... And- find-
0: Sorry, Alice, when when I was looking at the, we were re- looking at our vision and our values and it, all language and, and, and literature around leadership and schools. If you take the word learners, because we talk about learners a lot and the curriculum for excellence and all the documents, but if you take learners to include everyone who works in education. So when we're talking about learners, we're talking about the adults in the school as well, because we should be modeling learning and we should be engaging. And, and it, it changed my mindset. When you start to think of, we're learners as well and and that's the great thing because we're we're constantly engaging it it just changed the way i read a lot of documents when i I talks about learners in the school well it's talking about the teachers as well it's talking about the leadership team we're all learners and it just if we're trying to give great situations and, and and environments for learners well that's our teachers as well that's our leaders as well great point. So I
1: guess one of one of the things that I find a lot when I do a lot of coaching with people who are in these positions, one of the things that comes out goes, well, yeah, it's dead easy to be authentic when times are easy, no, or when I know what I'm doing or when I feel confident or when I feel like I'm in control, but when the stakes are higher, you know, when there's more pressure on a situation or I'm dealing with a bigger challenge, whether it's an interpersonal challenge in their team, whether they've just been told that the inspectors are coming, whether they've got, I don't know, even an observed lesson or something going on. Like, how do you, how or what advice would you give to people who are in those higher stake, high pressure situations to be able to cope with that and still lean into being imperfect, but feel a bit more confident about it as they're dealing with some of the bigger challenges?
2: Just one word about authenticity. And that's a big part of our second book. We, we uh, By authenticity, we don't mean being, uh, if I if I feel grumpy today, I'm going to be authentically grumpy uh, at school. Uh, we don't mean warts and all, uh, be myself, whatever whatever I'm like. We, we talk about the idea of healthy authenticity, whereby you, you try and be the best version of yourself, not the worst version of yourself. Uh, I remember uh, many years ago, I went on a leadership programme and we had to do 360 feedback uh, from all our colleagues, which I'd done before, but also had to do 360 feedback from friends and family. Uh, and I got the feedback from my work colleagues, and it was really, really good. I, I was delighted with it. There's a few areas for improvement, which I was happy to work on, but it was really positive. I got the feedback from my family and my friends. And it wasn't so good. Uh, it looked like I was being my best person at work, but coming home and not being my best person at home. Uh, and I had to think hard, actually, about my, um, my work-life balance. Uh, and it made a big impact on me, that feedback. And I began to be better at managing work-life balance. So I wasn't just the best person at work and the worst person back at home. had a better balance. But the point is, being authentic isn't about being authentically grumpy or being authentically angry. Uh, it's it's being, uh, being an authentic leader is about being the best version of yourself at school. Still yourself, but trying to be the best version of yourself. Now, the question you've asked me is, how can I be authentic and uh, understand I'm imperfect when I'm dealing with high-pressure, high-stakes situations? Uh, and, of course, that's really hard because there are expectations placed upon you to make decisions and to do the right thing. Well, the first thing I'd say is, you can still ask for help in high pressure, high stakes situations, especially if the kind of situation you're dealing with, you know, other people have dealt with in the past. Uh, and it's the worst kind of uh, egotism to think I shouldn't pick up the phone and say, you know, this situation, I mean, you, you had that last year. What, you know, can you help me? Can you advise me on what I should do to think? No, I shouldn't do it. I should just make all decisions myself. That's a bad place to be. So. Asking for help outside the organization, from people who have more expertise than you have, is fundamentally about good leadership. It's not a mission of weakness. It's a mission of understanding what good leadership is. That's the first point. Secondly, I think, um, yes, you'll have to make decisions and you have to do your very best. uh, But you'll still be able to say at times, let's have a discussion about this. Let's work through what we should do rather than I'll just decide and you can just do it. Uh, and so you can still be a collaborative leader, even in high pressure, high stakes situations. Sometimes in a crisis, you can't be, you just have to say, do this. But often even in high pressure situations, in fact, if it is high stakes, it's important that people do have some collective buy-in to what decisions are being taken. So uh, getting asking for help from others and getting the view of, of everyone in the team before you make the decision would be a good thing. And then finally, I'd say, When uh, you don't think that you have to get it right every time, Uh, even in high-stakes situations, people will make mistakes. Certainly, I've made mistakes in high-stakes situations, a lot of people make mistakes in high-stakes situations. Um, uh, And when, if you do make a mistake in a high-stakes situation, um, you'll probably beat yourself up a lot, Uh, but also you have to be kind to yourself uh, because we've all done it. Uh, very few things are mission critical. Uh, and there's lots of examples I could give you where I'm messed up, but I've known how to apologize and put it right. And we've ended up being a stronger organization as a result. So those are the three things. Ask for help externally. Develop a collective uh, mindset within the organization, even if it's high pressure, so you can listen to everyone to use before you make the decision. Uh, and thirdly, um, if you do make a mistake, be honest about it and, and try and move on.
0: I'm thinking, Steve, as you've made your way through your career, there must have been some leaders who allowed you to make mistakes as well. Um, as you've been on that journey, the the, the bosses, the, the, the leaders who who, as you've made the mistake, have have allowed you to do that, to give you that viewpoint and, and, and allow you that insight into the bet the, the benefit it had on you when someone said it's okay, just learn from it. How do we do that? Uh, how do we not do that again? I missed a meeting once, completely missed it off my calendar, didn't turn up. And I remember my head teacher saying, it's all right but how do we make sure we don't miss it again and i i was really worried that i was going to get in trouble and it's sometimes i wonder the impact that certain leaders have had on you through your career that allowed you to get to this 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 viewpoint oh absolutely i, I think that what the, the key point you're making
2: here andrew is the importance of modeling yeah as a leader because people will um will watch what you do as a leader and and They'll they'll copy it uh, and they'll learn from it. When when I was CEO of the National College, we asked head teachers what was the single most important reason why he became a head teacher. And the most popular answer was another head teacher they'd worked with, or they'd worked for, uh, either a great head teacher who'd modelled and understood and inspired and empathised with them and developed them and believed in them. Or, I'm not a very good head teacher, they vowed they could do it better. But either way, the impact of working with someone who's a leader and learning from them is really powerful. For me, I've had the privilege of working with some some great leaders who have genuinely empowered me and helped me to overcome things when I've got it wrong, who have sent me home to sleep when I've been so stressed out I can't I can't do anything, and have understood that I'll if I get some sleep, I'll come back and I'll be better. Uh, you know, I, I, so I think how we model that is really important. How we understand that other people need need to see that we sometimes make mistakes. How can we expect our colleagues who we lead to think it's okay to make mistakes if we don't admit that we make mistakes and model it ourselves? And that's such an important issue.
1: Yeah, that's one of that's one of the questions that we ask on Vibe. It's in one of our first workshops is who and we deliberately frame it really positively it's who's the best leader you've worked with and why and they go off and they have their little breakout room conversations and it's I, do, I love it. I like. I love those conversations generally because people are so honest. But it's amazing how quickly they go from like the very deliberate, who's the best leader you've worked with to, well, I can't tell you the best, but I can tell you the worst. You know, and it's I always find it interesting. It's, it's one of these things I feel with leadership. Like we know what good leadership looks like. We know what it feels like. We don't always know how to deliver it. No, we know what it feels like to be on the receiving end of it. But then when you're in that position, you're like, oh, I've got to win these hearts and minds. I've got to build trust with these people. I've got to be accountable. I've got to be all of these different things that are going to let my team grow. And I've got to empower them. And I've got to tick all the boxes for um, learning and teaching and assessment and exams and parents and all of this. How how do you think we can find that balance of building that accountability building trust creating a positive culture because you said yourself it's about that balance and we need to model that elsewhere but and this there might not be a perfect answer to this question but how do we do it you know if if i'm asking you the horrible question here how how do we do it how do we get that balance
2: okay well i i used to um in the in the second book uh, we talk about I have a chapter on power and love in leadership uh, and it's uh, it's a really important concept, and I found it very helpful in my leadership. And what it says is, in, is that if we're going to be effective as a leader, we have to lead with power. And that's not a nasty phrase. It means, means lead with drive, determination, commitment, resilience, uh, absolute um, determination to to make things happen, high expectations, holding people to account. Because you won't get change in a team or an organisation unless you have drive and power and high expectation in your leadership. Things won't change. But but, uh, also, you have to lead with love. That's kindness, empathy, understanding, uh, listening, being invitational, asking for help. Um, And uh, the, the, the chapter in the book talks about how we get the balance right between these two. And, and I've always found it really helpful as a leader to reflect maybe at every term, you know, in the last term, uh, did I get the balance right between power in my leadership or love? In my, have I been too strong on the power side and not strong enough on the love side? Or been, have I been too strong on the love side and not strong enough on the power side? Uh, and I think it's we have to find ways of integrating both of these. And I found it a great tool actually to reflect upon my own leadership uh, retrospectively, you know, getting that balance right. And sometimes I go too far one way and sometimes I go too far the other way. But I have to keep kind of working my way back to the kind of middle space there because that's the best place to be. Um, and, and so I think that's that's one of the ways I'd say you, you try and do this. The, the other thing I'd say is if we want to help people to account and be, re, re, you know, and drive change, but also take people with us and build trust, the most important thing we can do is to model it. So first of all, we have to show that we take outcomes seriously ourselves. We're prepared to be held to account. That we are responsible. That we uh, we, we take responsibility, um, and that um, you know that side of leadership we are happy to embrace as leaders ourselves. But secondly, we have to also show as leaders that we are um, that we are kind, that we uh, admit mistakes ourselves that when we um when we don't know the answer we ask for help because we won't build that confidence and trust in our colleagues that they can ask for help if we don't demonstrate that we ask for help as if the, the the patrick Lencioni's book which i'm sure you know about the uh, about the, the uh, about the myths of a leadership team uh sh- says that trust is the most fundamental thing to make a leadership team work make a team work and he says that if you have a trusting team that team will together admit mistakes ask for help um apologize when they get things wrong uh welcome challenge and i always say well if you if you try to lead a team and you wanted to trust that team to trust each other how can we expect them to trust each other if we don't model it ourselves if we don't ask for help if we don't admit mistakes if we don't welcome challenge so i think how we model ourselves both in terms of outcomes and responsibility and accountability, and in terms of uh admitting mistakes and asking for help. That's, that's how we get that balance right, both. Uh, and it's, it's a hard one to get right. And again, you'll go this way and you'll go that way. But come okay. back to that balance.
1: There's so much to unpick there as well. Can I can I ask a couple of questions about power
2: sure. here?
1: Um, do you think that it's sometimes misconstrued what power is? Because you just gave the most beautiful explanation of all of these different facets that lead to having power. One of the things that I see quite regularly is people either being too assertive or too, I don't know, maybe ego starts to come in, you see a little bit of arrogance creep in, or you see people who are too scared to take that lead because they don't want to be assertive or authoritative. What's your take on power and ego and its impact on leadership?
2: Uh, well, we've got a whole chapter on this in the same book, Alice, uh, and um, it's really, really important, this. Uh, can I have a few minutes, huh? because when you become a leader, it might be your first middle leadership role. It might be a, you might become a, a deputy or, or, or a head. Or When you become a leader for the first time at uh, lead a team, you, ha- you accept the fact that you're now responsible. You accept the fact that you are now accountable and that people are looking to you. Um, uh, you kind of, it's almost like putting on the mantle of leadership. I am now a leader and I'm gonna be the best I can be. Now, most of us do that with some gravitas, give it our best shot. We might think we might get found out and we'll worry about it, but we'll, do it. we'll give it our best shot. But some people just don't have any confidence at all. Their ego is so low, they think it's a mistake. They shouldn't be the leader. Uh, so, you know, uh, And uh, and because their ego is so low, and their confidence is so low, they're a disaster. No one wants to follow someone who has no confidence because they're, they're constantly propping them up and they're constantly looking to their team for reassurance and nothing gets done, no no, no improvements happen because you need to be decisive and see things through and people without confidence can't do that. So that's a bad place to be. The trouble is that sometimes... When you become a leader and you have some success, you go the other way. And, and you, you put on the mantle of leadership in a crown uh, and you start thinking of yourself too highly, And you start thinking that you know it all. Uh, and you start drinking your own bath water. Uh, and and you, st- you think it's a disaster to be led by someone like that because you can't question them. You can't challenge them. You can only tell them what they, the answers they already know. Uh, and it's a very bad place to be. And in the book, we talk, we have a grid Called, we call it the Goldilocks Grid on Ego. And it says, that uh, too low an ego. You constantly uh, try to step backwards and, and pushing other people forward and you can't take responsibility and you avoid difficult conversations. Uh, and too high an ego. And you don't want anyone else to have have success. You just want it to be all about you. And you can't bear it if some of your team uh, are seen to have high profile, it has to be you. And you have to make all the decisions. Uh, and, and that's that's too high and too low is not good. In the, the middle bit, the Goldilocks bit, the porridge just right bit, is where you take responsibility, but are happy and delighted when others get success. And you take joy in that. Uh, and, and I found all my career, I've wrestled with this, all my leadership career. Sometimes I've not known what to do as a leader. I've struggled. I, 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 even months at a time, I've, I've not been clear about the next step for the organisation. And I've lacked confidence. And at those times, I've not been very effective. And other times when I've had a lot of success, I've gone the other way and become a bit complacent, not welcoming, challenging enough, not being open enough to, to uh, external ideas. And then I've not been leading my organisation well. I'm at my best when I've got the balance between between confidence and humility. It's a hard place to be. But just let me tell you one example. I, I used to keep a diary as a leader. I still do actually, and I do recommend keeping a diary. I didn't used to write in it every day, I used to write in it maybe once a month or so. Uh, and I remember once uh, uh, one a holiday when I was on a Greek island about to go back to work, I wrote in my diary, I really don't think I'm up to this job, it's too hard. Um, I just don't think I can do it anymore. Then I, I looked back to what I'd written the year before, and i said exactly the same thing a year before. So every year in the summer holidays, I was, I was writing, uh, out this, this job's too hard. Uh, but when I got back, I was always fine. But that element of self-doubt was a good thing, not a bad thing. Uh, I think it helped make me a better leader, not a worse leader. So if you have some uh, imposter syndrome, that's a good thing, that's a good thing. The people we should be worried about, are people who have no imposter syndrome, no self-doubt, they're the ones we should be worried about. Uh, we don't want to be a quivering wreck as a leader, but we don't want to think that uh, we know it all. And somewhere in the middle is a good place to be.
0: Whilst well, Alice wanted to follow up on power, I, that was the love bit that, that stuck out to me. And um, I was rereading aspects of your Imperfect Leadership, and it was the Brene Brown that the vulnerability is a strength. Like sometimes we see that vulnerability um is a weakness. But I think if you're if you're trying to lead with power and, and get in the balance of the power and love right, the love aspect is a vulnerable place to be, isn't it? To, to 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 share that. It's a it's a term that sometimes within leadership and within schools, it's it's a scary thing. And so it's really interesting to hear your your take on the balance. Cause I think if you're trying to lead with love, you're putting yourself out there, it's a vulnerable place to be. But as you say in Brenny Brown, it's a strength to do that.
2: Yeah, that you're more likely to, people are more likely to want to follow you if you make yourself vulnerable than if you uh, make yourself, make everyone think you, you're invulnerable and you know it all. And that's the Bernie Brown stuff, and it's well-documented. that authenticity, honesty, uh, admitting mistakes makes people more likely to want to follow you than the opposite. People will hate a cover-up or a blame culture, but it's the, making mistakes and admitting them is good. As long as you don't keep making the same mistake, that's bad. Making a mistake, apologising and putting it right and not making it again and again, is good. But and the love side of leadership, and I'm happy with this term love, Andrew. It's a, I think it's a great term to use because it's, it, it's, um, it talks about emotion. It talks about uh, being vulnerable. It talks about, it, it's about caring. And, and we, we're educators, you know, we've got to be able to talk about language like love in terms of leadership.
1: It's so nice to hear and this is I'm about to sound like a proper woman for a moment here, so nice to hear two white men saying that because there have been moments in my career as a leader where as a woman in that role you almost get demonised is the wrong word but there, there's definitely times where it's like oh you're too nice or oh, you're too kind or oh, you're too caring and I do a lot of coaching with women in leadership roles and they're like but I want to be nice. I want to be a good person. I want to be approachable. Why am I being told that these are bad qualities? And I think what you're hitting on here is actually it's that balance between two. You know, like that. I love the idea of like the, the porridge being just the right temperature. As a mother, my porridge has never been the right temperature ever. Um, But it's fascinating to think about that in terms of it just for different people in those roles that are coming to it with different strengths. You know, you'll get some people who naturally are very charismatic and have a lot of gravitas and people come with them easily. You'll have other people who are coming to it, particularly in education, where it's all heart. You know, it's all give, give, give. And I think helping people really conceptualise that balance between power and love is, is a beautiful, beautiful sort of way of thinking about it. And I think there's really a lot of people need to hear that. Because you know, often we're like, we talk about what it is that you transmit and what, it is the, what the vibe that you give off is. And when we talk about who are the best leaders, what do you want to transmit? What do you want to, that to be? Nobody's saying, oh, well, I want people to know that my data and my spreadsheets look pretty. You know, they're saying, I want to be a good person. I want people to think that I care. I want people to come with me on that journey. And I guess that's about legacy at that point, isn't it? And it's about creating your legacy while you're in it and not waiting for it to be written as a result of unplanned actions or decisions that we make. So it'd be really interesting to hear what your take on that is.
2: Which bit, Alice?
1: All of it, all of it. Well, actually, can, we, can <laughs> we go to the gender bit? Because I think that's quite an interesting place. I'd, I'd love to hear your take on love from, like, like do you think there's a gender divide there in terms of how people approach the role or do you think it's a mindset i th-
2: i think um obviously you can stereotype and i think you can make over but i think on the whole on balance i think the messages in imperfect leadership and the follow-up in leadership and action tend to go down better with women than men on the whole there's some men who absolutely embrace it but uh, it's more of a threat to some men in terms of their concept of leadership. Uh, and I'm, I'm not sure why that is. It's probably deeply uh, cultural, but I think women are more likely to embrace the messages in the book than, than men on the whole. Um, because I think uh, men find it more difficult on the whole to deal with emotion. And this book, these books are about leadership as an emotional thing not just a kind of data thing. Data is important, by the way, uh, and you can't lead a, a big organization without really believing in data and valuing data and, and all that kind of side of it, which might see as the kind of masculine side uh, of the of the role of you stereotyping. But but so is uh, caring, kindness, uh, empathy, um, making yourself vulnerable, uh, connecting with people, um, this that kind of stuff. And I suppose g- generalization, that, that more women connect with that side of it than, than men. But uh, I mean, there's loads and loads of fabulous men who embrace this stuff. And and some women who find it really difficult. So I, I don't want to overgeneralize.
1: Yeah, and I think I, there's an really issue of overgeneralization there. And thank you for actually answering that question. Cause I know it's one of those ones that you am like, oh, I'm a, oh, should I have, should I say it out loud sometimes when it comes to that sort of thing? But I think it's really important for leaders of all genders to hear what the the fundamental characters and like characteristics and qualities of good leadership are one of the things we talk about in Vibe all the time is it's about relationships now you can have all the data in the world but if people aren't listening to you it doesn't matter what your data says because they're not coming with you on the journey so yeah it's lovely to hear that from that perspective Andrew what you're going to say
0: no just when I went into initial teacher education I just remember having dreams like nightmares of having to like shout at the class like that was my thing in my head was like if people aren't listening to me I'm gonna to have to be loud as a classroom practitioner because in my head that was what I thought I had to be and it was only much li- like that terrified me because I'm not a shouty person I, that that is not the teacher I wanted to be and it's not the leader I wanted to be either and I found like thankfully found my journey through that by reading and engaging with texts like this that that's not i I an interview once was asked about a difficult conversation or a difficult colleague. And, but what happens if that works? What happens if that doesn't work? What happens if that doesn't work? And all my answers. And I I had to say, look, I think I'm being led towards the I'm taking the power aspect, but that's not me. That's not the type of leader. And if that's who you want, that's not what I, that's not what I'm going to do. Um, But I had the confidence by that point and an understanding of myself that that's, that's not the leader I wanted to be, but that's through, engaging with texts like like you're Stephen and, and having confidence that that's not all leadership is it's not about taking the power I I, I love the idea of the power love Matrix and and looking at that in more detail and depth so so thank you for sharing that the knowledge around that yeah okay. I wonder if we I know we're, we're going to take up too much of your time but I wonder we like to try and leave our listeners with a wee bit of advice uh, as something that they can take away so if there's any aspiring listeners like leaders who are listening, they may feel unsure about their ability. Do you have any last pieces of any thoughts of advice that you would you would give to them? Okay. I um I, when
2: I go and visit schools and I the head teacher walks me around the school, uh which they often do, I, I hate it when they tell me so and so's good but not ready, not ready for senior leadership yet. Uh, so and so is not okay, but she's not d- done that yet. So she can't be a senior leader. I hate that kind of approach. Because actually nobody is ever ready. You know, no one's ever ready to be the head teacher. No one's ever ready to be that senior leader because it's always a step up and it's always um, really challenging. In fact, if you find the first six months in a new leadership job easy and comfortable, you're probably doing it wrongly. It's a challenge, okay? So it's always, no one's ever fully ready. You'll always, um, whenever you step up into a next leadership position, it's always challenging. It's scary, okay? Uh, so don't think that I have to know it all. I have to be, I have to be completely prepared for this next step. You know, that's, that's um, not helpful, I think, because it's, you'll never get there. So making the leap, jumping into that next row is, is, is worth trying as long as you're prepared to ask for help in that row. And you're prepared to admit that you don't know it or you want to learn. So I would say uh, there've been times in my leadership when I've, I've really enjoyed the job I'm doing and I've been encouraged to step up to a, a small senior job and I've, and I've uh, worried about that because I like the job I'm doing and the senior job looks scary. Uh, and I just don't know whether I'm up to it. Uh, and I've always needed some encouragement from other people to say, yes, you can do it and you will enjoy it. And every time when I have done that, i found that, yeah, it's been been tough for the first year or so, but then the joy of, of, of that bigger role and being able to make a bigger difference has been profound. So, so don't be put off if you think it's, it's uh, you don't know it all. Uh, be prepared to make the jump as long as you're willing to ask for help, as long as you can stay true to your values and your principles. Uh, and as long as you are willing to admit mistakes when you get it wrong. And I would
0: uh, thank the people who encouraged you, because I think at the start you said it was it was friends and people around you who kept saying, you've got to put these, these keynotes down into a book. You've got to put them into a book and share them with a wider audience. So the people who were encouraging you to do that, I don't know if that was a daunting leap at that point, but whoever, whoever encouraged you and passed all these pieces of wisdom on to, to a wider audience. Uh, thanks to them and thanks to you for coming to join us as well to to go a wee bit more in detail about all the aspects. Thank you, Andrew.
1: It has been an absolute pleasure to have you with us today, Steve. And for our listeners, if you want to go and delve into this a little bit more, then we will link to both books, "Imperfect Leadership" and "Imperfect Leadership in Action," which are full of amazing, just ways of starting to think about yourself as a leader, stimulus for self-reflection and crucially really practical tools and tips that you can take straight into your leadership. Please do follow Steve on Twitter if you don't already. He is at Steve underscore Munby. You can follow us as always. We'll link to our, uh, our Twitter handles in the show notes as well. But a massive thank you to you Steve for giving up your time to chat to us this morning and sharing these incredible insights.
2: It's a privilege. Thank you so much.
0: We've done it, Andrew. I'm so excited. We had our first guest and what a first guest to have.
1: Absolutely incredible insight, such raw honesty as well. And see, just hearing somebody talk honestly about their leadership experience and how that's then just change the way that they think and lead and then actually going on and sharing that with everybody in the way that Steve has is just incredible.
0: I would have sat and asked questions uh, for hours like I could have sat and asked him so many questions about every aspect of the book every post-it note I've got in this book I would have turned to that page and asked him a question about that if I could um but he spoke just he speaks so brilliantly and and the writing in the book is so similar to the way he speaks it's, it's got heart it's got passion it's got power and it's got love to use his terms um, if you've not already picked up Imperfect Leadership, go and read it. And once you've read it, if you're working in schools, go and read Imperfect Leadership in Action because they are they're real texts which, which give you a sense of who you are as a leader and, and allow you, as it says in the front there, for the, the leaders who know they don't know it all. Um, yeah. And, and that's, that's us all, isn't
1: it? Yeah absolutely I think this is one of the, you know how we have class texts this should be a staff text this is definitely one to put on your staff reading list for the for the coming weeks or months or for those of you that are just getting started in leadership or those of you that have been doing it for a really long time there's something for absolutely everybody in these books.
0: We I was I was in awe of of chatting away to Steve there that was like me and a hero because seen photos of him him you you have
1: been fanboying like literally since we knew that this was happening so
0: very excited I mentioned to him like one of the texts we talk about a lot is legacy um, and and the idea of planting trees you never see Uh, and I was just saying to him that the work he's done in this book like the, the trees the people who have read this and it's had a real impact on like I wonder I hope Steve knows that impact that he's had on all different uh, leaders across across the world it will be uh, but i was saying i'm definitely one of them you've definitely had a huge impact on me at a time when i needed it so thank you very much for that and thank you if steve was listening for coming on our podcast and allowing us to to ask you some questions we have been delighted and what a lovely morning it's been
1: right i think it's time to wrap it up andrew and go and lie down in a darkened room and process all of that and, and think uh, about how do we follow that yeah i think that would maybe Pete, that was maybe it maybe <laughs> done <laughs>
0: Absolutely. if you're new to the, we may have some people who are new to the podcast who have come along to listen for the first time to hear what Steve has to say uh, you can find previous episodes in uh, on Spotify or, or wherever you're listening to this we've got great episodes there the recent one about difficult conversations was was one of my favorites but you can go back and listen to, to any of those episodes so if you're new to the podcast welcome it's nice to meet you all and for those listeners that we've had previously it's great to have you back If you want to follow more information or find out more information, uh, you can follow the company at Treeof on Twitter. Alice, you've got your Twitter handle.
1: Yeah, that's at Alice underscore beverage, B-E-V-E-R-I-D-G-E.
0: And I'm at Andrew H underscore T-O-K. But we will post all of these in the show links and we'll post links to Steve's book. And once again, just a huge thank you for listening and a huge thank you for Steve for joining
1: us. And if you have enjoyed this, please do like, please do share, please do leave us a review. It is the best way to support the podcast that you love. We'll see you next time, folks.